So what had happened was this community had one hell of a summer and I am amazed to see the beauty of this community coming out of tragedy. Thanks for finding the What Had Happened Was podcast. It's me, Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com. The voice you just heard belongs to Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley. Hell is an understatement when describing the year this fine city has had. There was a water crisis, an FBI investigation, and a Klan rally that came just days before 15 tornadoes hit. We thought things couldn't get worse, but they did. A 24-year-old man opened fire in the Oregon District, killing nine and injuring more than 30 others. The city's strength has definitely been tested, but as Nan explains in this episode, Dayton is far from broken. We talk about the tragedies, the community spirit that shined through, Dave Chappelle, why we're at the same party just hours before the shooting, national news, and why an Hoosier became a Buckeye. The What Had Happened Was podcast is a product of Dayton.com, brought to you by the fine souls at Cox Digital Marketing. Let this trusted name in advertising help you find solutions for your digital need. Like and rate this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. You can also find episodes on the WHIO app for Firestick and Roku. Here we go. Here's that talk with Nan. It was recorded a day after Dave Chappelle brought Chance the Rapper, Cayenne West, John Stewart, and other celebrities to town for Gym City Shine. So what's been going on in your life? Nothing, right? Nothing. I'm sleeping in and nothing too dramatic, right? <laughs> what is going on with this year in this city? Uh, well, I don't know. It's been a wild one. My staff says, you know, 1903, 1913, and 2019 have been wild years for Dayton. It's been impressive to see the community's resilience through it all and to be a part of it. But it is exhausting, and I really will not be sad to see 2019 go. No, me either. I can get the heck out of here. Right. It's, it's like you think you've reached the pits, and then something more terrible happens. Let's hope that nothing more terrible happens. That's right. We can't say, well, what else can happen? Because other things can happen. So I yeah. think we should just be grateful that we survive and thrive through these challenges and keep on doing our best. What has your days been like doing this whole thing? Pretty nonstop. They've been more packed in event to event to event. Or meeting to meeting to meeting. And I'm normally pretty fast paced anyway. I think the difference though is I'm not controlling as much as I normally do. Normally it's something I want to move, something, some initiative I'm trying to move. And now it's more reacting to crises. And that's typically what happens through crises. It's just we happen to have quite a bit of them this year. The Gym City shine. Yes. That was just like a crazy short amount of time to pull something off like that you got three weeks tops right 12 12 days yeah 12 days now when did you guys start actually planning so for it the day after the shootings Chappelle's folks emailed me and said hey they had a couple of things they wanted to do I called them that night said okay yeah we'll talk to Sandy Gudorf Sandy had planned the vigil from the downtown Dayton partnership but we decided we weren't going to do it if the business district didn't want it right because I don't they've been through enough hey why don't we put a concert on with Dave Chappelle. So I think that Friday, and the chamber was thinking also about like just, we were really concerned about the business district, making sure it stayed vital, right? And making sure people felt comfortable at it. We're having those conversations on Wednesday and Thursday. I said to the chamber, hey, let's just have all this conversation together. I've already talked to Sandy about and Natalie Skilter of Corner Kitchen. So we had one meeting. It was a Friday week of the shooting. So I mean, I have very little time. I think I was there for like 40 minutes. I remember just asking Natalie, like, do you guys want this or not? If you don't want it, we'll just tell them no. And she said, no, we, we want to do this. I said, okay. So Sandy started working. Like, I think she called Carla, Chappelle's person, like that following Monday. And so then 
And and they know what they're doing because we thought it was so wild that they didn't want to tell anybody till Wednesday or Thursday, yeah. right? So we were like, but we've got to get volunteers. The community's been through a lot. So Sandy did an amazing job of really, you know, letting them have their flexibility for the concert. Because, I mean, we didn't know who was coming. Oh, you didn't even know? No, no. We would hear things just through gossip, just like everybody else. So Well, the funniest thing ever, I put out that little speculative list, like, here's my guest. Right. And then people started sharing it like it was real. Oh, I know. And I was like, it said guest. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, it was really fun. I think that was part of the fun, frankly. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad they did that because I said to Dave on Sunday, I said, you know, like, I don't get a lot of good surprises in this job. And so it's nice to have that kind of good surprise. And he did a great job with the talent that came in. For us, Sandy and her team did the details of getting the volunteers in the chamber, getting all of that set, and then working with Chappelle's folks. And then the the chamber and I did the fundraising to make sure we covered the cost for the police and the fencing and Sandy's budget, et cetera. The Chappelle folks paid for like all the jumbotrons. They paid for the stage, obviously all the talent. I think it was all donated, but still. And the stagehands, they paid for all that. Some people were upset about not getting tickets and all that stuff. Sure, sure. But the vibe was so like laid back and chill and loving. Were you surprised there was no problems? Well, I just think Dayton does that. That's kind of our personality. We are not a high stress kind of place. And also Chappelle, like, is pretty chill. Mm-hmm. I think his personality, people that want to go to see Chappelle and who he is, they're pretty chill in general. So I feel like that fit the vibe. It makes sense since Dave's from this region and, like, he likes this region that he kind of fits. Again, he's Dayton, too. And he too. hangs out down there. You yeah. Know, he, like, he plays at Wiley's. He used to play at Wiley's all the time. Yeah, and, I mean, he um, – the only time I've actually had a conversation with him is in the Oregon District. So, you know, you see him at Yellow Springs, you don't bother him. But that's the only time we were at the – we were at, like, the Salar Bar one night, and so we had a nice chat. He is Dayton and fits so well. Of course, we had to prepare for anything. Again, I'm amazed by the first responders able to, do, like, think of what they've been through. And then they were able to turn that event so quickly. It was very impressive. And so much help from the community. Like, I think that McTominers came from Dayton Public just grabbing whatever we had to create a safe environment. And it was beautiful. And uh, the hugging, lots of hugging. Lots of hugging. There's been so much hugging. Isn't that great? Are you tired of it yet, Amelia? I'm not tired of it. The first two days after it happened, I was a little, like, overwhelmed by the hugging. Sure, sure. Because people were, like, trying to hug you every five minutes. That's true. That is true. And I'm not a hugger. I know you're not. But I was like, now I'm a hugger now. Now I'm hugging. We're hugging. I'm so excited. (laughs) See, that's another great benefit from this uh, terrible tragedy. Amelia Robinson is a hugger. I'm a hugger now. I just I hug like everybody. It. Just hug I like everybody. it. I see people just want to hug them. <laughs> okay, everybody hug Amelia. Yeah, I think we hugged. We did. We did hug. <laughs> but I am a hugger. Yeah. I've always loved hugging. So it's that's been nice to see everybody really just connect with each other. When someone goes through a tragedy personally, their character is displayed. I really believe that. It doesn't necessarily change people. It just kind of gets to the core of who you are. These tragedies in our community have gotten to the core of who we are. And it's really quite beautiful. It is. Uh, and it's painful that we have to go through something and have so much pain and go through that. But the beauty of this community is something that I think is very, very special. So we were actually at a party at one of our mutual friends' <laughs> party. <laughs> the night the, the this, night before, yeah. Yeah, the night before. And my husband, you know, Anthony and I had just gone, left the party when we heard the gunshots. Mm-hmm. How did you find out about that did you get a call immediately actually not immediately they well they tried to call around 2 30 or 3 i'm not in the oregon district so yeah i hung out with you guys went to bed at like 11 30 was tired from that we had an event before that and had a pretty full day went to bed and you know my phone has do not disturb on it so only certain people get through the call people calling me were not so then they started calling my husband sam and sam sleeps through it like a ton of bricks 
And so then at 4.30 in the morning, someone from the law department is ringing the doorbell on my house. So I come down. Uh, Sam and I hope it's just a neighbor that needs something. And right as I have my phone with me, just in case I go ahead and grab your phone. And, and I said, um, I see a text from a friend that says, just saw the news. And so I knew something really bad had happened. And when I opened the door, I said, what happened? And he said, I think he said, like, nine people are dead. There's been a mass shooting in the Oregon district. So when you hear that, what do you what do you do? What do you think? Well, I mean, I wanted to, like, throw on my yoga pants and run down to the Oregon district. Uh, luckily, my husband and uh, the city staff were like, listen, you're going to be going all day. Like, you have a couple minutes here. Like, go shower. Get ready for the day. So I think it took me, like, 25 minutes to get ready and then headed to the convention center where the emergency operations center was there. Immediately started preparing for a press conference, like, hey, okay, what do we know? What can we tell people that this is a crisis? And so you have a system that's set up for that. My job in these crises is to communicate to the public. Knew that I would be, like, communicating all day. So we had the first press conference at 7. And you kind of know in the first one, like, right, so this is going to be the first piece. The media is getting, like, little pieces, but this is the first time. So you kind of, like, at least I do. I take a deep breath and, like, here we go. We went in. I think we did a 7 o'clock, a 10 o'clock, a 1 o'clock a three o'clock, a four o'clock, and then the vigil at eight. I remember Chief Beal was flying back. He had got earliest flight back. So I think he got back at like noon. Deputy Chief Carper were with me. And the police are funny because they want to just communicate when they have something really big to say. In crises, you communicate often. And that's going to be the deal with the media. We're going to come out here every three hours. So you can count us every three hours. But in return, we ask for people not to go and run something that isn't true. Because we wanted to make sure, for example, we weren't going to name the victims until we had reached all their families. There's an order of what you want to do to make sure that the people that it's affected don't hear that from uh, the channels and such. Where does that playlist come from? Is there like a script? One point somebody said, well, unfortunately, there's like best practices now for this. Mm-hmm. Did you get like a, a tip sheet from other? <laughs> I don't know. You know yeah. how to. So, yeah, so there are trainings for communicating in a crisis that we all go through. And then, unfortunately, for mass shootings, there's a, a fraternity of mayors that call you immediately and they call you at different parts during the day. So, like, I think before 7 a.m., John Cranley I talked to. I think Marty Walsh I talked to from Boston before 7. And then uh, later in the morning, Buddy Dyer from Orlando uh, called me. And so, and then uh, Jane Castor, who used to be the chief of Tampa, is now the mayor of Tampa. They all called and, and text and said, okay, like, because they've been through this and, you know, just really helpful on how to communicate. So, yeah, there is this group that immediately reaches out to you and they have history on, unfortunately, these kind of events. The way you communicate through a crisis is similar, right? I, in, on the tornado, I came out every three hours as well. Mass shootings are very emotional. Tornadoes are somewhat emotional, but the taking of one's life through an automatic weapon while people are enjoying themselves in the Oregon district puts a shock to the community that is just very different than a natural disaster. Now, did you ever see a comment at all? Because obviously you're the leader of the city and you have to think these things through. And a lot of us go, well, you know, we were surprised that this happened or we knew it could happen. Right. As the mayor of the city, were you surprised? I remember when uh, Mayor Cranley had the Fountain Square shooting last year. And I remember calling them to make sure they're okay. And I remember saying to Cincinnati, this could happen to any of us. And there, by the grace of God, goes Dayton. I always felt that about a shooting You always know that, yeah, your community can always have it. You always pray it never does. You pray that, like, you get missed. 
I think we all feel that way as mayors. We all feel like, yeah, this is going to. And, and unfortunately, now it's almost like this is going to happen to you sometime if you serve eight years in office. Right. I think that's what's really sad about the situation of mass shootings in America. Yeah, you shouldn't have to think that this is going to happen, that people are going to die in your streets or in your schools or in your churches. Right. But that's kind of where you are. Yeah. I mean, when, when Dayton is the 250th shooting in a year. When there hasn't been 250 days for mass shootings, you got to ask, like, what are we doing? What's the point of this? And you're kind of approaching it differently. Like, the news cycle is going to move on, unfortunately. But how are you trying to sort of grasp this moment to make it matter for the city of Dayton and other cities? Right. So for me, and as the leader of Dayton, I always say I have two jobs. One is to help the community grieve and move through this uh, tragedy. And the other is to make changes so another community doesn't have to go through this. And that means like legislative action and advocacy. I've been surprised, frankly, at the amount of interest there's been in Dayton. I've asked other mayors like, now, why is Dayton getting so much attention about this? I don't have a good answer. I think probably the best answer I've gotten is, number one, we're number 250. Uh, number two, we came on the heels of El Paso. So within 13 hours, there were these two shootings, very different in El Paso and Dayton, but both mass shootings. And then number three, Dayton. And I think the Cincinnati folks said this, like Dayton is like an every town, man. Like, you know, if it can happen in Dayton, it can happen in anywhere. And so in other places you can say, well, you know, they have these issues and they have this tension. And Dayton is, has very similar makeup of other of mid-sized communities across the country. And Dayton is a place where people, uh, which is, I think, nice across the country, they have an affinity for. That has made us have more national attention through this, this affinity for Dayton. My brother said that he was talking to some friends. We both went to university. University of Dayton and that, you know, all across the country, University of Dayton graduates said they watched the shooting like they watched 9-11. Really? Because it was a place that they knew of. It was a place that they had been to. And if you think of the thousands and thousands of people that have gone through the Oregon district, it's not like the Aurora, Colorado mall, right? Or it's where they had the shooting for the movie theater. That's just a movie theater. Or even like Tree of Life Synagogue, right? That's a very specific place only certain people in Pittsburgh have gone to. That's their church. But the district, if you've lived in the Dayton area, you have done something in the Oregon district. And people that have moved in and out of this community because of the base, because of our universities, it, it kind of sends this sh shock everywhere across the country. So I think that's the other reason we underestimate our connectivity in this community. And I think that that made people pay more attention to us. How'd you find out about the tornadoes? Popping in real quick to remind you that you're listening to the What Had Happened Was podcast. And I'm Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com. The Dayton Foundation has established the Oregon District Tragedy Fund. The fund allows individuals to make charitable contributions to help those affected directly by this terrible tragedy. There's a link in the episode description for those seeking more information. You can also donate $10 to the Dayton Oregon District Tragedy Fund by texting Dayton to 20222. That's 20222. There is also a link in the episode description to how to donate to the Greater Dayton Disaster Relief Fund, which helps those impacted by the Memorial Day tornadoes. Now back to my talk with Nan. I mean, there have been other things in the city before the tornadoes. Obviously, you had the water <laughs> thing, then you mm -hmm. had the big FBI investigation, mm -hmm. and you had the Klan. Mm -hmm. But the ones that really have stung badly are the tornado and the, and the shooting. mass shooting. Yeah. So the tornado, I watched girls' shows, and the meteorologist said, hey, this is bad. I was really tired, didn't really think much of it, went to sleep, even though it was a half a mile from my house. Woke up in the morning, I forget what time, Shelly Dickstein, the city manager, called me and said, hey, we, we need to get going. They've been out all night. These tornadoes have been pretty terrific for our community. 
went into City Hall, did a press conference, went out with police, mostly to obviously Troy Street and Old North Dayton, and then to the businesses of Coons and then to Weiss. That was how I found out that day. And we had water issue there too, right? Because the quadruple or redundant electrical system was hit everywhere because of the tornadoes. Not supposed to have 14, was it 14 tornadoes? 15. 15 tornadoes in one place since the whole state gets usually 19 a year. Right. You know, when Dayton does something, it does something. Let yeah. me just say that. We don't mess around, Amelia. No. We got we got it covered. <laughs> uh, so, yes, yeah, so that's how I found out about the tornadoes. You know instantly that this is bad. I knew it was bad when Shelly called and said, it is bad. You know, Shelly doesn't mince words. She was very concerned. Then seeing it on Troy Street. Yeah, I mean, I knew it was going to be tough. We were really worried about the waters getting back up. In addition to just the emotional and physical issues of the tornadoes, the water system is a big deal. Getting it back up as quickly as possible was a big focus for us. We're actually not even through the tornadoes. No, we're not. We're still, you know, September 3rd is the deadline. And so I think I have an event this week with FEMA. So we're still like doing the recovery on the tornadoes. And the tornadoes will take a long time because. It's physical space and places. And I think Dayton, the city, doesn't have as much damage as other communities like Northridge um, and Harrison Township and Trotwood. So the region has a lot of long-term recovery that I think MVRPC is leading, which makes complete sense. The other thing with Dayton was the city's damage was to businesses and to homes, not apartment complexes. It's been a little different than the other communities that just had incredible damages to apartment complexes, which took a lot of people and displaced them, where we had single-family housing that was more of the issue. You think we are ready for the tornado as a community? I know how you get ready for 15 tornadoes, but... Yeah, I do. I, let me say why. I think the EOC center that was put in place, the, the crisis set system that was put in place was very well done. Through this summer and through these events, I continue to be amazed by police and fire in the city of Dayton and the first responders and public works. People are amazed at the systems in place in Dayton when they come from out of town on how we're able to respond to crises. Unfortunately, we're getting very good at it and uh, continue to learn. Were there things that were could have done a little differently? Absolutely. And, you know, we have tabletop exercises to prepare for these natural disasters. You prepare for them and you plan for the unplanned. But, you know, there's still things that could be a little better. Typically, that has to do with communication. You're talking about multi-jurisdiction, multi-levels. And so usually where I see things on these crises that don't go quite right is someone is new in a position, doesn't know the process of communicating. We're trying to always communicate fast and truthfully. And those are really important pieces when you're trying to communicate during a crisis. So what's going to be next for Dayton as far as this goes? Or what's next for you as far as this goes? I'm going to focus in on two areas. And I just had a meeting earlier today around how we can be helpful about mental health. If you think about the opioid epidemic and the tornadoes and now the shooting, all of these have really dramatic mental health consequences. Addiction issues are just a subset of mental health issues. This is an issue for us that I think we can model some really good behavior about taking stigma away about how we treat ourselves with trauma, how we reach people to make sure that they get the services they need, and how we're there not just in the next month or the next year, but over the next five years. We know that from SAMHSA and other places that people that have experienced a traumatic event like a mass shooting when the next shooting comes, and I wish I could say if, but when the next shooting comes in another community, that will trigger. And so how do we set the basis for mental health to be acceptable and available and accessible to our community? I think that's really important for us as we deal with so much <laughs> the trauma of 2019, right? Uh, so I think that is important. 
Uh, and then secondly, I will not rest uh, until we have moved on some common sense gun legislation, both in Ohio and nationally. I feel like I can put my energy there and make a difference. And it seems ridiculous to me that 90% of Ohioans agree on background checks. I don't know another issue where 90% of Ohioans agree on anything. We can't not, decide one football team. We have that's two what NFL I said. Teams. Like, not even the Buckeyes are at 90%, yeah. but 90% on background checks. So why we can't get that through the state legislature, I think we should. I mean, I think they need to listen to the 90% of Ohioans. It's like a seatbelt saves lives, these laws can save lives. And so I will be doing a lot of work and activism there. Were you surprised that Congressman Turner, you guys are not the best of friends. Everybody knows that. Yeah, right? open secret, right? Yeah, open secret. One of the things that impressed me was you guys embraced during the visual. Yeah. And then you had DeWine up there. And right. Were, are you surprised that they're doing things or saying they want to? Hey, I'm grateful for it. I think with traumatic experiences and the community coming together, it kind of takes some of the toughness off of even elected officials. And so I'm super grateful for both of them. Congressman Turner's change, not only just him being open to working with us at the city, but also that he announced two days later that he was for the assault weapons ban is a big turn for a guy that had an A rating from the NRA. So I am happy about that. I've called to thank him on that and have stayed in touch with him around gun issues. I'm sure we're not going to agree on everything. I don't agree with anybody on everything, but I'm grateful for that change in his position. Governor DeWine, we have actually built a good relationship since he's become governor. We went through the transportation budget together because mayors across the state supported him in that effort. And then with the budget, it was the best budget we've had in a while because he didn't attack cities like Kasich did because Kasich was just so bad to communities, like the worst ever. I think DeWine had built up goodwill and we had built a relationship up already. Because he's from this area, he's just been like generally supportive to me. I do think the community calling for him to do something on Sunday affected him. I think he was working on some of these things already, but I do think it sped it up. Well, yeah, I think people around here like DeWine too. Mm -hmm. He's from here. He's from Green County. He knows everything about this area. He sure does. So it meant something that people said that to him in particular because he is a hometown boy too. Exactly. And they were kind of like, if your hometown calls you like, hey, Hey, kind of shakes it, do something, you're going to pay attention, right? It's different than if like Cleveland told him to do something. Exactly. (laughs) Ignore. (laughs) I did that for you, Amelia. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) So getting to the fact that you're not from here, why are you in Dayton? When I went to the University of Dayton, I took a bus downtown to work on campaigns and I really fell in love with the city. It's, It's like the Goldilocks of cities. It's not too big and not too small. It's a place that you can really make an impact. And I like that it was very blue collar and and I've been using this word for years, this idea of grit. I think that grit is something that is very powerful. It makes people rise above challenges like we've seen. And it's, it's a great, gritty city. And I just fell in love with it. And it's the people here. They believe if you work hard and play by the rules, you should get ahead. And there's communities that don't believe that. There's some communities that the culture is like, you got to know somebody to get ahead or you've got to be in a system for so long. You know, cities have all different personalities, but Dayton has this like spectacular work ethic of hey, if I work hard, I'm going to get ahead. What is hard for me now is that's not the case in America. I think that is such a great ethical value for our community that we have a lot of work to do to make sure that that rings true like it used to. You're from Indiana, right? Mm -hmm. Did you expect to go back to Indiana? I didn't really know. I thought, yeah, I mean, I think you immediately think you're going to head back home. I I didn't go to my local high school, so I was pretty open about it. Had never even heard of Dayton before I went to the University of Dayton. Didn't even know where it was in Ohio, just knew it was in Ohio. As 18-year-olds, you make great decisions. Mine was because when I went to visit the University of Dayton, it was sunny out, so (laughs) yay for the weather. Uh, As each year progressed, it became clear I wanted to stay here. The only place I thought about moving 
after graduation, I graduated in 98. In 99, I had a job offer in Washington, D.C., and that's when I knew I was going to stay in Dayton for the rest of my life. It was a great job. I chose not to take it because I had really fallen in love with this community. That's when I was like, oh, I'm going to be in Dayton you know, for the rest of my life. My brother, he went to UD as well and then went to UD Law. And then he moved to Cincinnati. The great irony is now my entire family lives in Ohio, including my parents, but do not call them Buckeyes. They are not about it. They're, they're Hoosiers. Like yeah, they're Hoosiers. What were they like, your parents, when you were growing up? They had a really strong work ethic. I remember my dad one time saying, I know how to do one thing, and that's work hard. And that's always like stuck, I think, with my brother and I. They are amazing people. They came to the concert last night. They have instilled, I think, the work ethic that my brother and I have. And also, like, not people that expect immediate reward. That whole idea of waiting and taking your time to do things. Both of my parents went to college and neither of them graduated from college. So it was very important to them, like most first generation college grads, is, I think is driven from your parents, like you will graduate from college. And that was the deal for my brother and I. What did your parents do? My mom was a real estate agent and she actually, she actually ran for office in our town with 5,000 oh, okay. people. And so she was the clerk treasurer. She was the first Democrat elected in the county, I think, Ever. Is there a ever statue since. erected to her? Yeah, no, no, they, they you know, it just was so strange. It's so conservative. So, yeah. so she was the town, you know, and this town was very small, but, you know, I, I delivered papers and when I lived in the Mooresville, the small town, and it was this kind of town that if I was like 10 minutes late on the route, the people would call my mom at her office, which was also downtown, like the little downtown, and tell her, like, oh, Nan is uh, late. Is she okay? And then, of course, if I was 10 minutes late somewhere, I would get trouble later in the day, like, well, what were you dilly dallying? What was going on? So the, the community was very connected like that. And then my dad worked, he was an iron worker, uh, and then went what we call inside to the General Motors plant in Indianapolis. He was a millwright there. And they were the plant that stamped the doors that came to Moraine. So oh. all the doors came, so they stamped those and made those here and then sent them on 70. So, of course, when Moraine closed, my dad's plant closed as well. So he took an early retirement from General Motors at that time. So the the GM truck movie is like, very emotional for my parents because we all went through that and personally saw my parents were very lucky they have a pension my dad was in a union they are doing all right but it was sad to see them still lose so much how, how good they thought their retirement was going to be before the great recessions but they are so grateful for what they have uh, julie and steven here oh did you and that's another thing like all this attention in the city is so bizarre <laughs> american factory Mass shooting, tornadoes, yeah, yeah. the clan. You got the hey. this, you got the that. Hey, it's we like don't a, we don't mess around like you said. When we do it, we do it. So yeah. we've been pretty quiet for a while, and now it's pretty loud. So you've been on national TV everywhere, Washington mm -hmm. Post is writing stories about you. Mm -hmm. where, where you've been everywhere? Like, um, let's run down a list. Well, yeah, I know. Like, I can't keep you, track of it. I, there's two shows like I've been on. I don't even know who they are. You're like a scrapbook of all this stuff. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> No, I don't. <laughs> so do you see yourself going next to the national le election level or doing all that? Amelia, I'm just trying to get through the summer. Okay. So. <laughs> That's where I'm at. That's really where I'm at. You know, look, we did a lot of the national media because we know we want to change policy. And we know the best thing that I can do to honor the people that died in this community is to take and get action, just like the folks individual called for. So does that require national media? Yes. Does it require me to use my voice on behalf of the people of Dayton? Absolutely. And am I glad that Dayton's story is lasting a little longer than everybody else's? I sure am. That's part of the job. I really am just thinking, man, I really want to have a big New Year's Eve party. 
Oh, yeah, I want to have a summer party before yeah, it's over. But right. you know, we didn't get a summer. I know, like, but I'm really looking forward to 2019. Ending, oh, me so. too. So yeah. that's why I'm thinking of the New Year's Eve party. Yeah, bye-bye, bye-bye, yeah. bye-bye now. Exactly. All right, well, hey, thanks a lot, Nan. Thanks for coming in here. I appreciate Amelia, it. great to see you. Thanks for all you do, being Dayton famous and all. It's great to always be with you. <laughs> You're Dayton famous. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening to my talk with Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley. A lot of tough things have happened over the past few months, but I am, for one, very proud to call the Gym City home and to be Dayton Strong. The What Had Happened Was podcast is produced, edited, and hosted by me, Amelia Robinson, in the WHIO Radio Studios. Thanks to my friend Troy Lyman from TL Creates of Columbus for the show's nifty artwork. Let's keep it Dayton Strong. See you later, alligators. Bye-bye.